the different faith traditions around the world may have different ways of expressing that and different theologies. Mm. But if you look at what they actually experience in contemplation, it's not that different. So it's a way to move beyond this denomination, that denomination, this theology, that theology. It's a way for us to love each other as we were asked to do. Hello, wonderful people, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 111, and it's my conversation with Meg Salter. So Meg wrote a book called Mind Your Life, How Mindfulness Can Build Resilience and Reveal Your Inner Extraordinary. And uh, we're going to be talking about mindfulness and meditation. And this is a topic that I have been dabbling in since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, Most of you know that I work for Apple. And when the pandemic first started, we closed all of our stores. Uh, Apple gave us a free subscription to the 10% Happier app, which is a mindfulness meditation app. It's usually like 100 bucks a year, but Apple picked up the tab for everybody in the company, which obviously was not cheap. And uh, I've been using it every single day since. Uh, I think it keeps track of your, your like streak. I think I'm at 122 days in a row. Uh, I've made it a habit to do it every morning whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Sometimes I do it throughout the course of the day. Uh, They have sleep meditations to help you fall asleep at night. Sometimes I'll do those as well. Uh, But really, really good stuff. And uh, if you don't know, like mindfulness, we're going to talk about it in the episode, but sometimes with meditation, we have this idea of like this, you know, you have to carve out this time, sit on a mat. You know, you're like this super spiritual tapping into your new agey self. I don't know. But that's not at all what it is. Like mindfulness is just about taking time out of your day to quiet yourself, to gather yourself when your mind is scattered, center yourself, but then bring that same mindset out of that mindfulness time and into the rest of your day, your week, your month, your years, and your life. And to do this, practice it over and over and over again so it becomes part of who you are. And I've noticed in my own self, like, listen, I'm far from perfect, right? But this, well, I mean, I, I don't want to brag. No, I'm just kidding. I'm far from perfect. But this app and mindfulness and meditation has really helped me, I think, uh, just become more focused uh, and just become a better, more compassionate human being. Uh, it's helped my mind slow down a lot. It's helped me be more aware of my emotions, what's going on inside of me, uh, and all those different things. So this is a great episode. I'm excited about this conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. And here's the thing. Uh, when we get to the end, well, 
when you get to the end, I should say, if you feel like this is something you want to practice more of, uh, the 10% Happier app, because I'm a member, I can give away free subscriptions of 30-day trials. And I don't know how many I get. It doesn't tell me, but I think you run out eventually, but I still have some left. So if you want to give this a shot, please send me an email, message me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I will shoot you a uh, activation code to activate a free 30-day trial on your phone uh, for the 10% Happier app. So you can try mindfulness meditation as well. See how you like it, see what it does for you. And uh, you can go from there. So really good stuff coming. Uh, but real quick, next week, man, you have got to come back next week. So next week is the last week of summer before we hit September. And it's also the two-year anniversary of the show. So two years, next Monday, two years to the day uh, is when I dropped the very first episode for the podcast. And we have come a long way since then. And we've done a lot of things. It's going to be episode number 112. And I'm going to sit down with Bo Sanders. So Bo, I've talked about him on the podcast before, but Bo, he was a professor of mine in school. And he is somebody who came into my life at a time when I really needed it. I needed his voice. And he is someone who has become a friend. He has become a mentor of mine. And he's somebody who really gave me the courage to start this podcast. Um, I wrote about the idea for the podcast in a paper that I wrote for his class. And the paper that I wrote was very edgy for the uh, class and for the school that I was in. And he read this paper. He read about my idea for the podcast. He said, dude, he's like, people need to hear this stuff. I will support you a thousand percent in starting this podcast. And I needed that from him at that time in my life. And he has been a friend and a mentor of mine over these last few years. And so I'm excited to share this conversation with you. We're going to talk about uh, how we met, uh, the class that we were in together. Uh, we're going to talk about his story, some of my story. Then at the end, there's going to be an extended outro, which is where the episode is over, the conversation's over. I'm going to spend about 15, 20 minutes uh, talking a little bit about the episode that we just had and then also a little bit about uh, my journey over the last couple of years and share with you some different things that I'm still learning about myself. And so just a time of reflection. So I think it's going to be a really fun episode, a two-year anniversary episode, episode number 112. So make sure you stop by for that. And then the next week, we start a brand new brand new series that's probably not going to cause any trouble. The series is called To Hell with Hell, and uh, we're going to be talking about the doctrine of hell, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's going to be it's going to be a good time. Uh, but we have some really good things planned for the series, eight-part series, all different people coming on with all different ideas. Uh, N.T. Wright will be dropping by, uh, William Paul Young, who wrote The Shack, Brian McLaren is dropping by, Matthew Corpman. Uh, he's been on the podcast before, Connie Tuttle, Jennifer Mayo, all sorts of people sharing all sorts of ideas about hell. And I'm excited about it because hell is a doctrine that has caused me a lot of trouble in my faith and uh, something I'm becoming uh, courageously tackling, I should say, over these last couple of years. And uh, it's, I'm finding a lot of freedom in the different conversations that I've been having. 
And I hope to bring some of that freedom to you if you have been weighed down by this doctrine uh, over the course of your the life of your faith um, as well. So really good stuff. Uh, my computer is making all sorts of noises. I'm, I don't know what is going on. Um, we're just going to roll with it, I guess. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so uh, that's going to be in September. Next week is Bo. This week is Meg Salter. In the show notes, Patreon, patreon.com slash whatifproject if you want to support the show. The Heretic Shop if you want to buy a hoodie. Uh, special music will be Will Rutherford. If you don't know him, go look him up. He sings uh, really beautiful songs about really beautiful topics, uh, songs about things that matter, as I like to say. So go check out his music. Download it, pass it around, share it, blast it in your speakers, and tell the world that you are listening to the one and the only Will Rutherford. Uh, Apple Music, Spotify, all the places where you listen to cool, cool music. So all that to say, this is episode number 111, and it's my conversation with the one and the only Meg Salter. Let's roll the tape. friends and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we're joined by my friend Meg Salter who wrote a book called Mind Your Life and it's subtitled How Mindfulness Can Build Resilience and Reveal Your Extraordinary. So Meg, uh, welcome to the podcast. I am really looking forward to talking to you. Thank you very much, Glenn. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks. So to kick us off, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, especially for people who maybe aren't too familiar with you uh, and your work. Who are you? What do you do? What makes Meg tick? Well, I am a longtime meditator, uh, mm. um, but I think most importantly, I'm a mother of two grown daughters, wife and you know, longtime lover with my husband for many, many years. I'm a business professional. Mm. Um, I've got a background in finance and management consulting. I picked up an MBA along the way, so I'm pretty, pretty grounded. Um, I would consider myself an integralist, um, um, interested in the ongoing development of cosmos, consciousness, love, mm. um, integral master coach, so very much based off that kind of work. Uh, professionally, um, I offer services as an executive coach and mindfulness coach, and I teach in both those two fields. Mm. Um, I live in Canada, but I coach globally, especially now with Zoom. I mean, right. Everything is remote, Everybody's right? Friend. Yep. <laughs> Everybody's remote, so that's, so that's great. Um, and my book, Mind Your Life, uh, came out about three years ago, and I'm pleased to say it's selling around the globe, which is, um, which is wonderful. I wrote it as a way, Glenn, of making um, a particular approach to mindfulness that I really like, because it's sort of industrial strength, but also something that anybody can work with and customize, hmm. making that accessible to people. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit about me, and I've got started with meditation about 
25 years ago. <laughs> so well, what got you into that? Like, was there something that springboarded you into it? Did somebody well, come across it yeah. and dabbled in it? Or? Well, you know, like everybody else, I dabbled in it. Um, I still heard about it in university. Um, okay. And I interested in that kind of stuff. Um, I took a weekend at the Rochester Zen Center, a silent retreat. And I pretty much ran out the other direction. Um, <laughs> it was... <laughs> Pretty ritualized, uh, people in black robes, really bad tofu, you know, mm. <laughs> um, it just wasn't for me. Right. Uh, so, you know, went on work, kids, family, jobs, you know, the usual things. Um, mm. And then, oh, I don't know, five or 10 years later, um, my brother suicided. Mm. Um, and it was a huge shock to all of us in the family. He was a gentle man. He talked other people out of their dark corners, but he couldn't do it for himself. Wow. So it's one of those moments when your life changes overnight. It's mm. like when the rug is just pulled out from under you. And, you know, at this point, I've got two young, two young daughters. I'm married. I'm working for a bank. I've got my MBA. And... You know, about a month after this, a little voice in my head said, Meg, you should meditate or mm -hmm. you could end up like Johnny. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't hear voices, right, Glenn? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm a banker. I do not hear voices. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so, but this, like this is the quality to this voice that just sank in. Mm -hmm. And so a few months later, I took up mindfulness-based stress reduction. And I have been practicing meditation of various kinds ever since. Yeah. And I don't normally stick with things that long, mm. aside from my family. So um, I, I have stuck with it. Um, various kinds. There's lots of ways to meditate. Just people say, like, do you exercise? And you go, well, what kind of exercise do you mean? Right. right. Lots of different ones. Lots of different ones. So I've done mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is, uh, you know, uh, become the gold standard for uh, scientific studies. Mm. I've done a uh, Buddhist work for quite a few years, Christian meditation out of the John Main tradition. That's essentially a mantra. Centering prayer. Mm. Uh, worked with Cynthia Bourgeau most recently. Oh, wow. Uh, but from a mindful, yeah, but from a mindfulness perspective, I've been studying with um a guy named Shinzen Young out uh, who's uh, created an approach called Unified Mindfulness. Mm. He was originally in Vermont, but has moved to, um, I believe, Arizona because he's now involved with some fairly high profile neuroscience research. Mm. Um, so uh, it's been the little difference that made a difference, Glenn. Um, I would say that I'm not a different person. Actually, my husband would kind of say, he told me years later, I was kind of worried how you were going to be different. <laughs> um, and I would say I'm not a different person, but it's just like there's a path for the better angels of one's nature to come out. Hmm. Certainly, I'm, uh, I'm more resilient to the ups and downs of life. I've been a self-employed entrepreneur. You win some, you lose some. Hmm. Um, ups and downs in the family life, raising teenage daughters, like that's, mm. that's advanced practice. Um, uh, and certainly, Len, while my book is targeted towards a secular audience, because that's mindfulness appeals to that. Sure. Um, and I also want to appeal to people of any faith or no faith or lapsed faith. Mm. Um, 
but for myself personally, and I'm delighted to talk with, uh, with, this, uh, with you, is it's totally reinvigorated my Christian perspective. Mm. And that's not what I went in for, but yeah. that's been the happy outcome of it. Uh, mm. So we can get to that if you like. Yeah, for sure. But it sounds like, I mean, this sounds like your work is really grounded, obviously, in something that was um, a very big, sad event in your life. And I would imagine that that has propelled you into doing what you're doing today. Yeah. Well, you know, when I teach Glenn, most people come into it. Most people start anything because there's some degree of unhappiness, right? You wouldn't start something new if you were like, fine, fine, fine. Right. Um, So, so for me, it was a vicarious trauma, but Mm. the people I work with, there's usually some kind of suffering, some kind of pain that's propelling them to do, to do this. Um, uh, so for me, that was it. Um, I would say that, you know, the degree of what happened was what anchored us this kind of like bedrock motivation. Mm. Um, um, and for lots of people, it's finding a way to stick with something, Yeah, you know, uh, is important. And that that's down to two factors. One is what is your motivation? And the second is finding a method that works for you. Mm-hmm. So you know, my methods have changed over the years as, as, as I've matured. Sure. And, and as of my, my, my interests have changed. Um, but that kind of little, <laughs> I never heard the voice again, <laughs> but it was, thank goodness. <laughs> but I will say that something in me knew that I had to get real. Yeah. I had to go yeah. to a deeper level of my life than, than, you know, going to work and paying the mortgage and raising my kids. I mean, all that's fine. But something in me just said, you need to go deeper. Yeah. Need to dig. You need to dig. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start with uh, the big question, I guess, is what, what exactly is mindfulness? And again, for our listeners, the, the book title is Mind Your Life, How Mindfulness Can Build Resilience, Reveal Your Inner Extraordinary. So what is mindfulness and why is it important? Well, there's lots of definitions out there, but I like to keep saying simple, Glenn. So Me too. I'll say Me too. That, yeah, yeah. I mean, small brains, right? Right. Life is too uh, complicated as it is. <laughs> life is complicated enough. Let's not right. add to it. Um, but mindfulness is a particular way of paying attention, hmm. paying deep, caring attention to what is occurring inside of you and outside of you. So it's not a pill that you take. It's Mm -hmm. not some kind of happy accident or la-la state that you are in only now and then. It's a foundational skill Mm -hmm. that you can learn to develop. And anyone from any background can do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a catch. You need to be willing to put in some time and effort. Um, You know, but by learning how to pay attention differently, and of course, that's the skill building part, your regular attention moves from being kind of scattered, um, reacting unthinkingly, often based on old patterns, mm. old memories, some kind of knee-jerk reaction, to an attentional base that is more stable, mm. a broader range of what you can perceive without actually shutting down in judgment, mm. more clarity on what you perceive, yep. and therefore you're more able to respond with choice. Mm. Um, you're actually sharpening your perceptual senses. It's kind of mm. like upgrading your operating system. Hmm. So, uh, so I would say it's pretty foundational. So uh, can you give us like some, maybe like stories from that you've come across in your work, some applications, like what does it look like to put 
mindfulness practice for lack of a better phrase into life for the everyday person. Like we have a lot of people that listen to the show who maybe they own their own small business, like, like yourself or they're a stay at home mom with three kids. I myself work a, a retail job from nine to five. So like, what might it look like for somebody to, who's listening to say, Hmm, this sounds like something maybe I need to dig deeper. Like what does it look like to begin to integrate this work into your life when you feel like your mind is going a hundred miles an hour, full speed ahead, addressing a thousand things at once, work related, family related, personally, all those different kinds of things. Like what does it look like to put this into practice? Yeah. Okay. So big question. Let me, let me chunk it down a little bit. Going back to the, well, let's talk about the motivation piece and yeah. what you might get out of it. Mm-hmm. And then, so how you're going to do this. So for the motivation piece, it has to be personal, right? Everybody yeah. has their own reasons. And finding a kid hope just the same way you'd have a reason if you're going to the gym or changing how you eat or whatever Hmm. so the reason has to be personal and has to be relevant Um, there's lots of solid scientifically grounded evidence on health outcomes typically having to do with stress Hmm. lowering stress it's been well known to improve mood disorders Um, it's aligned with cognitive-based therapy very often it's very often an adjunct to therapeutic work Um, uh, you're able to improve if you're focused with the, the side benefit of being able to focus is you feel more calm. Mm. If you just think about a little, have you ever had your kids have hamsters? We used to have hamsters as kids. Sure. And it's like your mind's running around like a little hamster and it's yes. exhausting just to look at it, right? right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're able to focus your attention on one thing for a short period of time, the side effect is being calm. Yeah. So some mm. people go into it for health and stress reasons. Um, for when I'm talking with a business audience, for example, it might be, um, you know, how do I make good decisions and be productive and still stay sane, mm. still stay sane. Yeah. So, you know, so how do you improve decisions when you've got a ton of information, all of it's ambiguous, you've got blurred lines between work at home and you've got to do it fast. Mm. So that's a business orientation. Um, for people who are in the sports world or performing artists, um, they're often looking for how do I stay calm under intense pressure, performance pressure, yeah. um, for relationships. Um, how do I be more present with people? Mm. How do I bring all of myself when I come home? I had a client, one of her practices was when she comes home, she's mindful with her kids for mm. 15 minutes and all the worries at work, you leave them in the background. Now that that's, you know, leaving them in the background is actually a skill. It's not just an attitude. Yeah. Um, um, and for creativity, um, how do I become less constructed in my old thought patterns? Uh, leaving yourself more open to novelty, leaving yourself more comfortable with, uh, with don't know mind. Yeah. So, so those are an example of, of um, personal reasons. You know, what that would look like is... Um, I often use the analogy of going to the gym um, as, or physical fitness, because I think mindfulness is like fitness for the uh, mind and heart mm. and physical workout is fitness for the body. Um, so whatever you choose, you need to have a way to be able to integrate it into your daily life. Mm-hmm. So just as you go to the gym, you know, half an hour to an hour in the gym is not going to revolutionize your life. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I wish it would, right? It'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be nice, but it won't. Yeah. 
Right. But if you kind of figure out, but you do go to the gym because you want some motivation, you want some skilled training, maybe you want some friendship and community, um, you know, um, but it, so that's a good, that's a great start. But you need to then be able to figure out how do I work this into my daily life? Maybe right. I walk the dog for 20 minutes a day. Maybe I bench press my toddler. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe, um, maybe I've learned certain ways to move my body better, like to protect your back, to, you know, whatever, to use your core. How can I integrate that when I'm doing housework or mm. yard work? So then you've got something you can do whenever you want. Mm. And that's the same thing with mindfulness. So a book like mine or anybody else's is a great way to start. An app is a great way to start, but you need to internalize the skills. Hmm. So like anything else we learn, right? Like, you yeah. know, you can't use a calculator your whole life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't use a dictionary your whole life. Um, when you're going to be having a difficult conversation with somebody and you want to be able to fully present in that conversation, you can't say, excuse me, I'm going to whip out my earbuds. Right. 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 <laughs> so, <laughs> pause so, that for a second. I need to go be mindful. <laughs> pause that for a second while I do this, you know, get myself right. here. Um, so, I mean, I wrote something that's a resource and we all need resources, but, but my big pitch is here is find methods that you can, you can see a runway into integrating in your daily life. Yeah. So what that might look like is like, what might your routine look like? You know, you've got a fitness routine, you've got a healthy eating routine, you've got a mindfulness routine. Hmm. So what that might look like is some kind of a core workout of 10 minutes a day when you are doing some kind of dedicated mindfulness practice. Now you could be sitting on a cushion or a chair um, but you could also be doing a run. Hmm. So, but the the criteria here is that as hundred percent, as much of your attention as possible is going towards impl implementing a routine. Hmm. So, uh, uh, if you're out doing a run, for example, you could be focusing all your attention on the body and how it's moving, the sounds around you, the sights around you. Uh, distinguishing uh, where in the body is stressed and where if it's relaxed and smooth. Hmm. So you're dedicating your attention to the act of running. You could be doing a similar thing on the cushion or on the chair, but it might not be towards movement. It might be towards your internal emotional states. Hmm. Um, or your breath. So right? anyway, you, the breath is one example. And the yeah. breath is lovely. Um, I started off with working with the breath, but I hated it. <laughs> I didn't know any better <laughs> sure. at the time. Um, um, but the, the thing about the breath is it's portable in some ways, but not in others. Hmm. It's, it's a limited focus. So there's lots of things you can pay attention to mindfully, not just your breath. Hmm. So anyway, you've got a core root workout routine of 10 minutes. And that's where you lean into a new skill. That's where you uh, go in deep, um, sharpening your core skills. Um, and then you can add in practicing daily life. And I call those micro hits. That could be a couple seconds, a couple of minutes. It could be 
you're waiting in line with a mask on and you really don't like wearing a mask. Let's mm. make this relevant, right? Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Drive it home right here. <laughs> right home. You know, so, okay, how do I focus on relaxation in the body? I'm giving an example. How do I focus away from the irritable sensation of the mask on my nose and my glasses fogging up, which they do, um, and think about um, relaxation in the body, contact that. Think about gratitude. I'm grateful to be alive. Um, think about some kind of nurture positive. I'm doing this mm. to protect other people, right? So how do I turn the irritation of mask wearing into something that's not irritation? Yeah. Um, so that's, or you could, that's just an example of wearing a mask. It could be waiting in line somewhere. And of course we do a lot of that these days, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, it could be listening to some politician you don't like. Uh, <laughs> Nobody has any of right? those, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, and um, how do I fully metabolize my feelings of irritation? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Without necessarily acting on it. Huh. Um, so there's all kinds of things you can do, but you can see how you can't do this with your, you're plugged into an earbud. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and then once you're fairly comfortable, with, you know, you have some practices that you know and you like. It's like having a favorite knife in my kitchen drawer. It's sharp. It's ready to go. Chip chop. Let's do it. Um, then you can add in some kind of low-grade routine running in the background. Hmm. So you can always have a little bit of contact and relaxation in the body, for example, even when you're doing other things. Hmm. Um, so that's what it looks like. Um, supporting that, of course, you need to acquire resources of all, one kind or another. And at some point, it's nice to be able to give support to other people. Yeah. You know, be able to explain what you're doing and why you're doing it without sure. necessarily proselytizing. So that's what I would say. The core workout, the micro hits, the background practice, get support for that. And when you're interested and ready, give support to others, pay it forward. <laughs> yeah. Lots of different layers to that. And what I, what I love about your book is I think a lot of times like the, and it was for me, like a huge misunderstanding of mindfulness and meditation is like this idea that I need to have all of this time to meditate because I need to have a, I need to have a quiet place with a cushion and I can sit on the floor and I can have this extended period of time to, you know, constantly be in this state. But in reality, like you just talked about, and like you talk about in your book, like you give multiple examples in your book of different kinds of people doing different kinds of things and how they've integrated mindfulness um, out of that maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes they might be able to carve out of their day, but carry that forth into their day and what they're doing um, on a regular basis, which I think is such a, a huge point to make that's often mis misunderstood um, around this topic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I was first starting, my daughters were, you know, the only way they could get ready for school was listening to Radiohead. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm dating myself, I know, but it's like, <laughs> they have to go to school on time. So I'm doing my thing and Radiohead's in the background and they're doing their thing, right? right. So yeah. if we understand mindfulness, not as a particular state you go to. Yeah. If it's a state that you go to, then you need all these protected environments. Right, right. Um, but what scale building does, and there's good solid evidence for this, um, scale building turns an occasional state into a permanent trait. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and you, if you're going to build skills, 
you need to repeat you need repetitions that's right i mean that's i wish there's I no way around yeah. it right that's you know think, like there's yeah. there's no way around it sure and most of us have very busy lives and 10 20 30 minutes a day is pretty darn good so how do we add on to that hmm. and if we're working with an approach that says you can pay if you know how to pay attention mindfully and we don't have time for that here, but the book was into how you do that. Mm. And if you understand that you can pay attention mindfully to any sensory perception, mm. anything that you feel in the physical body, anything you feel emotionally in the body, anything you see or hear externally in the external world, anything you see or hear internally, which is what your thinking is. Mm. Your thinking is your sights and sounds internally you can pay attention mindfully to anything, anytime. Mm. And then you can take it on the road. Yeah. It's like training your then mind you, in that moment to do something on a regular. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And when you train your mind on a, on a regular way, mind and heart, shall we say, when you train it in a regular way, um, you know, what used to be a real stretch becomes normal. Mm. Right. I was out um, this summer and I've been biking and, you know, the first couple times, like a couple of K was kilometers in Canada, you know, a mile or so was, was rough. You know, a month later, I'm five or six miles. No problem. Like, you know, like that's what practice does. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we know that in yeah. so many areas, <laughs> we know that with any skill, whether it's a sport whether it's any kind of music, whether mm. it's academia, whether it's a craft, like we know that. Yeah. Repetition so, is the key. Yeah. Repetition is the key. So how do you find what I really wanted to do with this was to take a practice that was essentially developed in monastic settings, mm. Christian, East and West, Buddhist, you know, around the world, but developed in monastic settings for contemplative chaste, people <laughs> and bring it and bring it into the real world yeah. bring it into our world and because i think our world is crying out for that right now yeah huge i use you talked about apps i use the 10 percent happier app um yeah. which is an app that sort of teaches you or guides you through various uh mindfulness exercises and i work for apple and i'm um, apple actually paid for the subscription for everybody in the company to have this app and they did that at the beginning of the pandemic when they closed all of our stores and um, a lot of us have i'm still working from home um, our store is still closed and uh, they did like a mindfulness challenge in the company so mm -hmm. uh, they challenged us all to use this app for like 30 days and uh, i've been using it now for the last four four months and uh you know the the app just for our listeners has different teachers some um, every teacher has his or her own own method kind of like you talked about their own niche and I've noticed that it's made a huge difference for me in a lot of ways that I wasn't really expecting. I didn't really know what to expect when I started, but I think the biggest thing is that just being more aware of like what's going on beneath the surface of my thoughts, because like yeah. sometimes it feels like my brain is a, you know, a hurricane of thoughts, ideas, emotions, memories, dreams, like all sorts of things that can be very easy to let yourself go wherever that hurricane might push you. But the app has really been teaching me to kind of slow my mind down long enough to ask things like, what is this feeling? And where did this feeling come from? And why is this here? And what was that thought about? And kind of realize that even though I might 
feel a certain way, that feeling doesn't necessarily define me. Like, you know, just because I feel sad doesn't mean I'm a sad person. Just because I feel angry doesn't mean I'm an angry person. Don't must separate my feelings from who I am, if that makes sense. Absolutely. You're developing a different relationship to your thoughts and feelings. Yeah. You're not, you're not stuck like Velcro. Right. Exactly. Uh, the technical term is identified yeah. um, with your thoughts and feelings. And so the part of you that can question, Hey, is this real? Do I have to feel this way? Did he really say that? Yeah. The part of you that can ask that question is not the part that's stuck in the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And so what yeah. I would say is it feels like your thoughts are slowing down, but I think what's actually happening is your sensory perception is speeding up. Hmm. That makes sense. This is all about, yeah. So it feels yeah. like you're slowing down because you can actually catch it. Hmm. But your ability to detect something, that sharpening of the perceptual skills, the sensory skills is what enables you to do that. And, and the reason I point this out for, for your listeners is that when people say, you know, I want to slow things down and pe other people go, well, that's not my life. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I actually don't that's want true. to slow things down. Slow right. is boring. Right. <laughs> uh, so, so yes, it can feel like your thoughts are slowing down, but that's because the apparatus with which you are discerning your thoughts is becoming more acute. Yeah. So it's almost like my, like you said, the sharpening of the skills, it's almost pointing out things that have always been there. Maybe I just didn't recognize They've always been there. Before. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, at some point you reach a stage where you, you, you hear thoughts and, or you become aware of thoughts and feelings and think, what is that doing in my head? Right. Where did that come from? <laughs> right. it, I do not like that. I yeah. do not like the fact that Meg, Meg is feeling this way, but guess what? She is. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's where things like equanimity come in. Yeah. Sure. So one of the things you talk about in the book that I found really interesting is that mindfulness practice uh, can help you learn to develop uh, what you call a non-judgmental attitude towards whatever it is that you're experiencing. So maybe talk to us a little bit about what, what that means. Like, why is it important to have a non-judgmental attitude and how does a mindfulness practice teach you to have that um, in your days? Yeah. Well, you know, many teachers who are more skilled um, than I am, would say, and, and for many traditions, by the way, would say that equanimity or non-judgment is the key cathartic factor. Mm. Um, um, in Christianity, it might be called kenosis or surrender. Um, and yet it's very hard to do. Um, I would say that all mindfulness skill programs of one kind or another have, um, uh, they understand and talk about the skill of concentration and the skill of concentration is being able to, to direct your attention where you want, when you want. Um, and they're also um, have some understanding of non-judgment. It's the term that uh, John Kabat-Zinn uses. Um, I prefer the term equanimity mm. um, because I think of equanimity as a skill again, and it's the skill of letting your sensory experience come and go without pushing or pulling it away. Mm. So for example, earlier when you were talking about some particular thoughts came into your head, you weren't necessarily pushing those thoughts away. You were letting those thoughts arise and then fall away. Mm. Um, but 
on their own, I and I've worked with systems that have, you know, concentration and non-judgment or equanimity as their kind of two, two forces. You know, when you do, when you, those are the only two things available to you. It's like the gas and the brakes, the gas and the brakes. Mm. Um, or it's like a kid's teeter-totter and you're kind of, it's dualistic. You're, you're kind of swinging back and forth between focus, which can tend to kind of make you tight Mm. and equanimity or non-judgment, which can tend to make you relaxed. Mm. So I find the secret sauce of, you know, the approach that I'm working with lately is a skill called sensory clarity. And that's the ability to track and explore all your senses in real time. Mm. And when you have concentration, sensory clarity, and equanimity, you have like a trinity of skills. Hmm. and they, they become stabilized. It's like a, you know, it's like try and, try and imagine a little bar stool with only two legs. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, you're going to topple off. Yeah. <laughs> you, need, you need three legs on that stool. Yeah. And so I find that the combination of the three skills actually makes equanimity doable. Hmm. So, um, so it, it's also um, a term that's slung around a lot. Um, and, and there's, it can be easily misunderstood. And, um, I remember talking with a colleague, um, in India actually, who was saying, oh yes, we've got mindfulness and yoga all over the place, mm. but too often it's used for emotional numbing. Uh, I don't care. Yeah. I'm not involved. Hmm. Um, so, you know, part of the risk can be that, um, you become, you use it to justify apathy or some kind of emotional numbing hmm. or an indifference to conditions. Hmm. And, you know, we're certainly in a time and place now where I don't think that's an option. Hmm. Um, and if certainly from a Christian background, indifference to conditions is not what it's all about. Hmm. Um, so let's, let's illustrate equanimity. Um, let's say that um, you've got some kind of mild but chronic pain in the body, you know, after a certain age, we all have that. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Yep. You know, yeah. It your happens. back, your knee, a sports injury, whatever. Yep. And you're sitting there for 20 minutes and you've sworn you're not going to get up until those 20 minutes is over. Mm. Um, and then something starts to hurt. So how can you have equanimity with that? How could you neither push it away or hang on to it? Mm. So, what would that look like? Um, you could try, if you're going to use all three skills, um, let's say that you decide I'm going to continue with my practice and my practice is going to be uh, focusing on areas of the body that are not tense. Mm. I call focus on rest. Um, so you let the tension be in the background, you let the achy back be in the background, maybe you adjust your posture a little bit so you're a little more upright, so you got a little less muscle pressure. You let that be running in the background. You're not suppressing discomfort. But you're attending to the part of your body that's not in discomfort, which could be like 75% for all we know, right? So over and over again, your area, attention is going to parts of your body that are relaxed, your hands, your legs, your torso, the sensation of the out breath is automatically releasing and you let the discomfort run in the background. Mm. And you can do that because you have sensory clarity because you can distinguish in the body, where does it hurt? 
Where is it strong? Where is it weak and diminished? And where is the edges of the hurt? Mm. And we go off the edges of it. We're talking the real estate of your body right now. You can go to the parts that are actually not hurting. So you're not suppressing the pain. Mm. Um, it's like you so take note of it's like you take note of the yeah. pain, but then redirect your attention You'll, to something else. You redirect your attention away from the. So this is what I would call yeah. a turn away strategy. There are other mm. ways to deal with discomfort, but let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so what you're doing is you're not resisting. Mm. So this is equanimity is like the skill of non-resistance. It's mm. kind of like WD-40 for the soul. Right. <laughs> uh, um, and, you know, non-resistance is essential. Um, uh, as people have said, there is pain in life, but suffering is optional. Mm. And so when you have pain and you greet it with resistance, it increases. Mm. Right. Um, let's say you've got some physical discomfort and then you also, you're aware of in your mind, you're thinking this going, Oh darn, no, 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 I really got to see my chiropractor. No, 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 no. You know, when yabby, 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 mm. right. This is what's happening in your head as you're feeling some legitimate discomfort. Mm. You turn your attention away from yabbity yabbity in the head and let that be in the background. Mm. Or you're aware and you can distinguish the yabbity yabbity in the head with the actual physical discomfort. And all of a sudden it diminishes mm. because your mental commentary is no longer increasing the physical discomfort. That makes sense. And it, well, would, be, it would be true too, not just with physical pain, but also I would think with your with your thoughts, right? Like if a thought comes into your mind, that's a distraction. If you try to resist it, it usually makes it more intense, right? Well, yeah. What you resist persists, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's true with your thinking. It's true with emotional pain, like hmm. heartache or disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to be able to contact emotional discomfort, where is the physical sensation in the body? What is the associated commentary with that to break those apart? Um, um, you know, in a way that's true grieving. Yeah. Um, so no, um, equanimity as the skill of non-resistance, neither hanging on to, and some of us hang on to things, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. We, like, we like our victim status or our yep. defender status. Equanimity, to, in my experience, is made real by the complementarity of the other two skills. Mm. On its own, it's just so hard and yeah. it's so easy to kid yourself. It's really helpful. I think one of the things that I've learned from the, the Tempers and Happier app is like early on in the process, you know, I was trying to focus for those 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever yeah. it was. And, you know, thoughts would come in about the grocery list or, you know, we have to do this. I have, this is breaking in the house. I have to call this person. And, you know, I was trying to resist those thoughts like, no, I can't. I have to focus. I have to focus. And like I could feel them just growing more intense in the background but one of the the teachers on the app said talked about that idea of noting and said you know allow it to be there just recognize that it's there and then redirect your attention yeah. back to something else and all of a sudden when i did that like i thought well if i do that the thought's just going to stay there and linger but it actually just quieted down and went to the background and i was able to focus on my breath or whatever it was that i was focusing on in that moment and it just made it it was just it was so much more natural than trying to push it away Absolutely. And then if you push it away, um, it just doesn't work. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like when you have little kids, you're trying to shut the ghosts up in the closet, they just grow. Right. right. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but what you were doing there was you were practicing the skill of concentration. Hmm. 
So, you know, you'll be distracted by a thought. You'd redirect your attention to whatever else it was you were intending to do. Hmm. Every time you do a redirect, you're strengthening the concentration muscle. Yeah. Huh. Right? Every time. And for the first while, like months, you're doing that quite a lot. Right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very much. <laughs> quite a lot. But the benefit is after a while, you do it a little bit less. Hmm. Until at some point your concentration can stay stably focused on many things. Hmm. But the key for everyone to understand is like, you can't lose. Hmm. Every time you redirect your attention, and it could be like five times a minute, right? Hmm. Every time you do that, that's a rep. Yeah. That's a repetition of building your concentration. Yeah. And you know what? The thoughts kind of go, yeah, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and every rep yeah. is progress, right? Strengthens the muscle. Every rep is progress. And yeah. you know, there's a learning curve. Like sure. anything else in life, particularly something that's worthwhile, there's a learning curve. Sure, absolutely. It takes time. Rome wasn't built in a day, right? That's what we always say. Yeah, not even your, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. Do you have time for one more yeah. question? I know we're short on time. Absolutely. All right, so yeah, last sure. question. No, I'm good. Okay, cool. Um, in one of our email exchanges early on, you mentioned that mindfulness has helped you, uh, and you just said it earlier, to reinvigorate your Christian perspective. That's the phrase that you used. Um, and kind of created space for more contemplative practice. So um, can you maybe talk to us a little bit about how mindfulness meditation has influenced uh, your faith? And as we talked about before we hit record, um, a lot of our listeners are kind of evolving in their own spiritual journeys. They're experimenting with meditation, contemplation. So I think that maybe hearing a little bit of your personal story about how this has added fuel uh, to your spiritual fire, so to speak, um, might kind of give them some inspiration in their own, their own walk. Oh, sure, Glenn, I'm happy to. Um, and I'm delighted it's a chance to, to share this with your listeners because not everybody's interested. Um, Thank you. You know, uh, you know for myself, um, at first, they were two very separate things. Um, there was the mindfulness stuff, and then I went to church. Mm. Uh, and I brought my kids to church because, you know, I wanted them to have that, that perspective. Mm. Um, but they were two very different things. Um, and, uh, but it helped in my daily life. Mm. And um, as it turned out, we relocated to a different town and the, the local church had something called Christian meditation. And I was, you know, full of pride and thought, oh, I can do that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh, so I went along and it was a different approach to meditation than what I had been doing. It was um, Christian meditation in the um, Lawrence Freeman uh, approach. It's a mantra. Mm. And so I did that for a number of years. And then I did Buddhist stuff. And when I did the Buddhist stuff, it really became... A much more intense, you know, doing silent retreats, um, which is when a lot of the, you know, purification, if you will, uh, happens. Um, and um, so it became spiritual outside of the Christian tradition mm. first. And then in once I began, particularly with the unified mindfulness, um, with its strong focus on sensory perception. Um, and the senses being everything, everything you can see and hear and feel inside and outside the body, including your thinking, hmm. all of the feeling body and thinking mind. And then the senses become sacred. Hmm. Um, and that's when you can, you begin to realize what's 
you know, the sacramental principle is that you can know spiritual things through the physical world and bodily actions. And I thought, oh my gosh, mm. this isn't just a hope anymore. This mm. isn't just wishful thinking or a piety. You begin to learn to trust your senses to guide you. Mm. Um, so things like, you know, the quake, I used to um, work with some Quaker groups in, um, in detention centers. And the Quakers would say there is that of God in all of us mm. or that we're created in the image and likeness of God. And you think, oh, my gosh, there's that little fractal image I never knew. Mm. It became real rather than just something I read. It was totally amazing. Um, and from a Christian perspective and people like Cynthia Bourgeois and others who will say, well, from that tradition, um, you direct awareness towards the heart. Mm. Well, do you mean you know how to do that now? not just something you say. So when we say, raise your hearts to the Lord, they, okay, kapoom, there we are, I'm raising mm. it. Mm. And then it's a felt sensation rather than just a mental aspiration. Mm. Um, so all of a sudden things that had been empty ritual, well not empty, but you know, comforting ritual, shall we say. Sure, sure. There was, there was a depth of meaning I had no clue about yeah. that I was able to access. Huh. It was quite, quite something. So, for me then faith became not something that i believed in but something i contacted I think or eventually me, something that contacts you yeah i think for me like i've only been doing this for you know a few months since i really started using this app on a regular basis but i think for me like you helped me put words on something that i've been trying to figure out what this has been doing for my faith and earlier we talked about how you know we begin to perceive things that were were always were always there but maybe we just weren't we weren't seeing, you know, beneath the surface. And I think for me, like, whether you want to call it hearing the voice of God, hearing the voice of the spirit, the divine nudges, whatever it is, like, you know, I, I'm somebody who believes that, you know, God is always speaking to us on some level. But I think for me, like this act of mindfulness has helped me to realize that some of those things inside of me that are constantly bubbling up that I might push aside or ignore or move by so fast because my mind is doing something else. I think the mindfulness practice has helped me to realize when, when the spirit is nudging me um, and that the spirit is always there, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. And, yeah. but, but I think it's also, you know, um, from one practitioner to another, it's, it's, we also have to be careful not to delude ourselves mm. because um, certainly mindfulness can help you become quiet enough that you can discern the still small voice. But a large part of the practice comes when you learn to scrub away the voice of Glenn <laughs> mm. or the voice of Meg, mm. right? Um, um, and you learn to sort of go past, move through and past old habit patterns, old thought patterns, old stuff. Mm. Um, so, yes, it does give you that apparatus, um, but I think we also need to have a little humility. Mm. About when is it just, you know, Meg 2.0? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> right. Versus the voice of, you know, the voice of the spirit. But that's a constant act of discernment. And I think mm -hmm. learning to attune our, our sensory perception and is what we have. I mean, mm -hmm. that's all any creature on the planet has. Yeah. Right. We yeah. have, how do we make, we have no idea what's out there. 95% mm -hmm. dark matter, dark energies. Yeah. We have our little antenna. Right. <laughs> which come into you know, which come into us the way they come into us. And my dog lives in a different world, yeah. you know. And the birds around us live in a different world. 
So, you know, we have the senses that we have. Mm. And this helps us attune them to a different frequency. Yeah, that's good. And that's when stuff comes in. Yeah. So um, it's kind of like, for me, it's been like going back home, but knowing it for the first time mm. or knowing it in a different way. So it's, yeah. been, it's been remarkable. Um, and other people have used mindfulness to, you know, um, contact their spiritual life or their faith life. And it may or may not be Christianity. You know, so it's not necessarily about a fit with one particular faith, sure. but this is, yeah. this is, this is the faith that I grew up in. This is the archetypes that were, you know, uh, you know, pounded into me when I was six years old. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I have. Um, but if we are talking about uh, the experiences that become available through deep attention, mm-hmm. um, the different faith traditions around the world may have different ways of expressing that and different theologies. Mm. But if you look at what they actually experience in contemplation, it's not that different. Mm. So yeah. it's a way to move beyond this denomination, that denomination, this theology, that theology. Um, it's a way for us to love each other. Yeah. As we were asked to do. Yeah. One of my favorite authors is uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, and she wrote this book called yeah. um, Holy Envy. And she talks in there about how um, she was a, a professor for a world religions class. And she had a, she, you know, obviously grew up Christian. She had been a, a minister for a long time and she went to teach this class. And she all of a sudden was taking these students to, you know, Hindu temples, Buddhist temples, Jewish synagogues, and kind of learning um, the ins and outs of a lot of these religions. And she talks about how, you know, for for instance, like Buddhism, you know, she might've picked up something from Buddhism about meditation. And she said, you know, Jesus is always the one I come home to at night because Jesus is the one who I was raised with. And Jesus is the one whose ways make the most sense to me. But should I found it beautiful to be able to bring something I learned in Buddhism or valued from Hinduism back home to me with Jesus at night and to kind of integrate that into my own faith. And should it made me love those people even more have have a new and deeper appreciation for them. Absolutely. And, you know, Glenn, we're at a time where, um, you know, as humans around the planet, we're going to sink or swim together. Right. right. Um, the internet is binding us. The pandemic is reminding us mm. of that. Um, people have been grappling with the big questions forever yeah. uh, in their little part of the planet. Um, and so, you know, we're certainly, we're at a time and place where all the world's contemplative traditions are available to you. Yeah, that's right. And it wasn't even like that 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, so it's remarkable. So there's a huge flourishing. We can reach out and to, you know, what was developed in the next valley over or the next country over and what did they learn? Mm. But, you know, if, if we take a Pauline version of, you know, Christ is in everything, yeah. not just in Jesus. That's right. Then it's that. It's that um, a, a universal principle uh, that turns up in different faiths and different religions at different times. And, and you know what? I would say that, um, you know, all of our faith traditions were founded by 
um, enlightened, God-filled, holy people, and then the rest of us poor humans did the best we could with it. Right. We pretty much what we pretty much watered them down. It's right? true. No, it's true. Because <laughs> we just didn't we just didn't have the capacity to vibrate the way they were vibrating. That's right. And I'm I'll include Christianity and in all of that. I mean, the horrible things that have been done in the name of love are just ridiculous. That's right. Um, um, so you know, I would say that we all need some kind of a praxis, some kind of a practice to be able to live up what we aspire to, mm. whether that is just to be nice to your family the way you want to be nice to them after mm. a really bad day to a deep Christian faith. Mm. And it's the praxis that turns good intentions into reality. That's right. Amen. Well, Meg, uh, <laughs> you're, you're taking us to church right now. <laughs> <laughs> well church has been online for the last little while but yeah. uh, who knew right that's, that's right well we're just about out of time but this has been fantastic i could talk to you all day i've learned a tremendous amount so thank you for taking the time for me today well it's been my pleasure i hope this is something that your listeners will find a value one way or the other and uh you know most of the great traditions sort of said come and see come and try yeah. it out that's right you know yeah so go try it out <laughs> and where can people come to uh other than your book to try out your work to kind of see where you are anywhere online specific they can go to um i have a website megsalter.com there's a number of free resources there um uh, i do individual coaching primarily i teach through a platform called unifiedmindfulness.com mm. that's an online learning system uh, the first couple, the first uh, a bunch of free resources and the first entry level course is free. That's online. So you don't have to leave the privacy of your home. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I had to do that. So um, uh, megsalter.com, uh, the book, uh, Mind Your Life is available on Amazon all over the world, amazon.com for your American listeners uh, and uh, Unified Mindfulness for the larger teaching platform. Perfect. Well, I'll put all the links to that in the show notes and uh, maybe we can do this again soon. I would love to, Glenn. Have a great day. Thanks, Maggie, too. You're very welcome. Bye-bye.
Like a stream, like a stream, just this room. 